Welcome to The Best Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Bradley H. Werrell, and we're here to explore options and potentials to help us grow as individuals and as a community with one another in these difficult times and challenging times. We're exploring all manner of potentials related to the human experience, physical, psychological, medical, spiritual. It's a wonderful opportunity that we now experience in this critical phase of our human evolution. And I welcome you to join us in our podcast, become more aware and identify with people who are helpful and supportive of you in your efforts as a human being on this planet and elsewhere too. We're going to be meeting people who are doing things that are widely variant from what is so-called normal within our society. In the creative space, within the social space, our common purpose, seeking to generate positive potentials to improve the lives of everyone in our sphere of influence and to expand that sphere of influence so that we may positively influence others that are not yet engaged directly with us. That's the goal here. We will learn more about each other as we go. I wish you the very best. Thank you very much for tuning in. Well, we've got Sonny Sue. Is that how you pronounce your name, sir? Yeah, you got that right. That's good. It's a good start. Maybe you will introduce yourself for our uh, listening and watching audiences. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a strategic designer and uh, I'm the founder of Paradigm. Um, what I mostly do is I kind of bridge the gap between strategy and design to help new, new ventures be able to design themselves, fund, launch, and whether it's more of a product, an app, a website, a brand, uh, or sort of like a digital service. Uh, my specialty is really bringing together all of those designed elements and then structuring them in a way so that they have an effective business model, an effective go-to-market strategy, expansion strategy, funding strategy, and uh, beyond. Um, that's that's mind-blowing. It's like, how did you get involved in that? Yeah, well, um, you know what? If I look back into my childhood, I feel like the signs were there from the very beginning. Um, in middle school, I was uh, involved in this sort of like an art convention uh, near my hometown, and one of my friends had a booth there and we went to visit. She was like, hey, you should hang out. So I hung out there and I got to see, although, I mean, albeit we were all middle schoolers, but I got to see how she was creating art, creating, demonstrating value, and then, you know, exchanging it as a, as a good, right? Um, and I was like, this is interesting. And I wasn't so much interested in the business side of it at that time, but I, I was definitely interested in sort of like, how could I create something that other people saw as valuable, right? And so that began that whole journey. Uh, in high school, I started like my own t-shirt business um, without, without any starting capital, really. I figured out like, hey, how do I structure uh, pre-orders, do marketing in a way that kind of gets people to all order and then order more off of the profit because once people saw it, they inevitably were going to want some as well. I didn't know any of this was really called business or marketing or whatnot at the time. But um, I do know that all throughout high school, I was kind of caught in between, like, so I knew I wanted to get into tech, right? Uh, innovation and so forth. And people were like, oh, 
you know, you should go be an engineer. So I took a lot of computer science, um, but I always felt like something was missing. All my classmates were super passionate about it, but I always ended up, you know, more focusing on sort of like the overall narrative of the program or like the, the architecture of it. We couldn't figure out why, like I didn't specifically get as into the programming aspect of it, of it as they did until I think about senior year, I went to a design camp at NC State. And that's why I even knew, oh, there are other majors besides graphic design, right? Industrial design, architecture, um, et cetera. And uh, I was like, it was like this, the whole discipline was made for me. It's the perfect blend of science, intuition, creativity, critical thinking, math, finance, strategy, all kind of in one, at least from my perspective, so I ended up going to NC State for industrial design, and that's the design of products, brands, and businesses at scale. So not like a craftsman who's creating just one of things, but think like Johnny Ive, chief of industrial design, chief of design really rather at Apple, creating the MacBook, which would then be in millions of users' hands, right? And so um, I fell in love with industrial design, and from there, everything just kept expanding. Uh, probably around midway through university, I started getting involved with the entrepreneurship garage. Um, over there, they had a lot of business and engineering students, but um, very few teams even thought about design. And uh, so I went over there, I was like, okay, I'm looking for a group, ended up in like 10 groups. Um, and I didn't know what I was getting into, but it was incredibly fun because, you know, if there's three slices of a pie while well, business and engineering were there, it was a third one that I really got to fulfill. We're in the design school. We all filled the design pie and missed the other two, right? Over here in the uh, engineering entrepreneurship garage. Uh, they had the first two and not the third one. Uh, and then every project would go on to place in first or second that spring. And that kind of solidified a certain confidence myself. I knew the other projects. I knew that they were also good ideas, but ours were just communicated better in a way that created impact and delivered a message both visually and narratively to our audience and even the research methods that we went dove deep into the psyche of the people we were working with and really looked at their heuristics human factors the nature of what motivated them or inspired them to take action and be influenced by our design um, that was kind of our advantage uh, and so that would go on to lead me to getting involved with a lot of corporate corporate innovation projects. Uh, mostly my professor started connecting me with some of these corporate innovation groups. So over the course of like, I think the last seven to eight years, uh, I, I have had the blessing to work with the Coca-Cola innovation team, the Deutsche Bank innovation team, LG, Lowe's, IBM, SAS, and it was really fun. Uh, I got to help them figure out how do we develop new markets? How do we develop new customers? How do we create totally new products, unprecedented, that no one else in the world is working on. Um, and it was incredible because I, I got to learn a lot about corporate ventures and I learned tidbits about how mergers and acquisitions and portfolios and all of this yeah. worked. Um, but I always felt like something was kind of missing, right? And so I started, I, I, you know, I remembered back to like the entrepreneurship garage and I started freelancing for some startups and entrepreneurs on the side for fun. Um, some of them were from my earlier connections. Some of them, they continue to work on their business and now they're at a stage where they could work with me at like a, a professional level at that time. Um, that was many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
But very quickly, once I kind of uh, started letting myself get involved in that, uh, they started raising capital. They started getting more customers. Their businesses grew, right? Uh, one business in particular, they raised half a million within three months of me working with them. Uh, and then we went on to go close deals with Adidas and Bose and Garmin and Gatorade. And it was super exciting. And so I jumped ship. I was like, I'm going to do this full time. Um, and I did not know how I was getting into, uh, at the time, the only thing I could think of was paying off my student loans and, uh, that I loved doing what I was doing. So I let myself work seven days a week, hundred hour weeks and didn't realize the toll it was taking on yeah. mine and my body until it got to the point where maybe I had somewhere between like 10 to 20 projects going on at the same time. I don't even remember that whole little month or two period was a blur. But um, during that time, I realized that my systems weren't sustainable. Uh, and, and also, as soon as I paid off my loans, this was within a year of going freelance full time. Um, as soon as I paid off my loans, I realized I didn't have like a specific goal that was driving me at that time anymore. And so it just made it all too much. And I was like really, really falling apart. So I had to take a little bit of a break, went back to Taiwan with my family for about a month and a half, only kept about three projects. During that time, I was like, I'm only one person, right? I can only do so much and I'm, I can only be good at so many things. What do I really want, right? What do I really want out of life? What, why am I pursuing this at all? Um, obviously, I don't want this business to be like this for forever, right? So I have to be more intentional. I have to be more strategic. I have to design my business, right? That's right. I designed these other ones. Um, so it took, it took me a while to figure it out and even even after I thought I had figured it out the next few years, it would still continue to iterate. But since then, um, you know, we've had the pleasure of working with companies like Morning Brew, helping them design their brand. And they grew from a six figure company to 13 million um, by the end of 2019, uh, getting over 2 million new users. That was really incredible for us. Um, and then there's another entrepreneur out of New York where we designed a product and several different like brand and packaging lines for his products. And he got to over 10,000 customers worldwide. There's another company um, that is really more sustainability focused uh, and they got a shark tank, got invested in by Mark Cuban. And then uh, just earlier this year, they raised another 3 million. And all of these things continually compounded on itself until where we are today, some three, 400 companies in uh, that we've been able to help in our portfolio. We broke nine figures as of 2019 in terms of our portfolio valuation. And just knowing that we've really concentrated on humanity-centeredness and uh, founders who want to create change in the world and create a paradigm shift. So you probably noticed that company's name is Paradigm. And if you know the meaning of- Well done, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Good plug, I like that a lot. <laughs> Beautiful sign, it's very well done. Yeah, thank you. No, but um, it really boils down to everything we do is all about mental models, right? Because right now, uh, the market is getting faster and faster and innovation is changing at like a lightning fast pace. And um, if we're not careful and we're not intentional, then it can be very easy to create things that are human centered, but not humanity centered, right? That's why we have things like Facebook. They started out with good intentions in mind, I think, right? And, um, and they certainly really understand us as people. They've really tapped into our psyche and what we need and want and desire, but they've forgotten about their impact on society at scale. 
And so it's not saying we should be more humanity-centered than we are human-centered, but I think it's a balance between the both and people aren't thinking about the macro effects of what they're creating. And I think um, everyone alive now, we have a responsibility to make sure the next generations uh, are living in a world that we truly believe is going to be the best that we can create for them. And so I realized that paradigm had to exist. And the reason why it exists is because there's a big problem out there. And our goal is to solve that problem to the point that we no longer need to exist, that people are being humanity-centered and intentional about how they innovate and design their businesses, their ventures, the things they innovate on without needing that external guidance or support. So in the meantime, we've been creating these methods and processes, these paradigms, so that they can be crystallized and handed off and taught to people, taught to our partners that are growing here with us. Um, so, you know, that background sums it up and leads to Paradigm ultimately being a venture studio, a business accelerator, and an entrepreneurial resource hub. And we've got goals for the future, but we might get to that later. There you go. Very interesting. So was that undergraduate um, experience or did you have graduate um, training as well? Um, I had intermittent graduate experience. Uh, mostly I got into certain classes and so forth, but nothing official. Um, and actually what I found is uh, I, I did take an MBA course and uh, I would reconnect with them later and be working on different businesses. In fact, one of the businesses we created, Pure Coffee, out of uh, that class of the three or one coffee roaster, grinder, and brewer, that actually ended up winning several competitions, raising a ton of capital. And then uh, we worked on it for a while until we reached kind of uh, an endpoint with that. Um, but I learned from a lot of them that, you know what, one of the best ways to really get the most out of uh, getting a business education is to just do it, to just get in it. Because there's, you know, you could study all day long, right, about this subject, that subject, but it, until you actually are there doing it in real life, feeling the pressures of real life, having to balance and juggle uh, everything at the same time. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can't quite fully absorb. Oh, that's right. And it's a, a, a humane, it, the humanity, it's a human interactive function there that you have to engage with. And it's like, yes, yeah, not, it's not academic by any means. Yeah. And it's like, it's, I'm very impressed by the uh, wide variety of experience you've had. It's just like, like a wild train ride, man. Well, I kind of think that even my inherent personality is um, I'm kind of more of like a big picture systems thinker. And for me to do my best work, I need a bit of information from everywhere, right? Every industry, every horizontal. And what that means is I can carry knowledge from one to another, right? I can see parallels that other people won't see. If you're deep in one specialization or industry, because a lot of times we'll have uh, a prospective partner say, um, oh, you've never done a, uh, a liver, liver scanning uh, protocol before, right? How can we be sure that you'll be able to bring innovation and business success to what we're doing? And I'm like, well, you don't want to be like every other liver scanning pr protocol, right? Look at where that's led them. We need to create something new. We need to actually look at the underlying mental models that govern this discipline and this industry and see how we can carry things that are successful in other precedents, rather how we can carry those over and integrate them all into yours. So you have something truly one of a kind, defendable, profitable, scalable, and sustainable. Now I was instructed to, to suggest to uh, have you tell me about bringing a global standard of innovation and design to all industries, including the medical world. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I remember, I think about two years ago, uh, we actually did some really incredible work with the Duke Innovation, uh, Duke Institute for Health Innovation. Uh, every year, they take a few different cohorts uh, where they've got scientists, doctors from the medical academic world where um, it's just really interesting because they, they have the knowledge, they have the expertise, deep expertise that I will never have, right? And I don't understand half of what they're talking about. But then at the same time, we can bring our paradigms for design thinking, business innovation um, in, and that's kind of what they uh, hired us to work together with them on is to help their teams become a little more fluent in sort of like design and business. And so we start bringing up things like, well, have you talked to the people you're designing this for? Have you interviewed them? And that, that all sounds really basic, but sometimes you're so, in the weeds with the medical technology and the science and the infrastructure that you forget that this still lives in the world of the human experience, right? And so we were able to not only come in there and tell them, hey, think about it this way, right? And how that actually will contribute to making sure you're creating something that these people actually want and can use, but also specific techniques like our diamond model and our research model and so forth so that they could take those step by steps and uh, make sure that before they create anything, Right? A lot of these people were, had started engineering already, but they hadn't even talked to someone yet. Right? And in hindsight, that sounds so obvious, but, <laughs> but when you're in it and it's the first time you're doing it and you've been taught a certain way all your life, uh, it can be very hard to get out of that mindset and shift into a new one, right? Paradigm innovation. Um, but that, that was a pretty incredible way of how you know, we could start bringing a few innovation standards uh, into the medical field. And since then, we've actually been involved in a few other medical uh, and healthcare related projects. Um, one of which I think is really cool. They've got a whole philosophy around uh, therapy and how a lot of therapy right now is mostly focused on the physical, right? And uh, even the ones that are about your mental, emotional, or spiritual, uh, you tend to be still, right? So he combines movement with some of these more cerebral therapies uh and he's built a whole philosophy around it a whole curriculum around it and a whole installation around it and we've been helping him create a system where you go through and you actually learn a lot of the methods and then eventually you become one of the the kind of coaches as well and you can share that therapy method with others um so that's been a really incredible thing that we've been working on and then about a year ago uh, this was for a local kind of medical startup. Uh, we, we had the pleasure of kind of helping them re-envision their brand, helping them design a whole interactive website and system so that uh, when they were going to talk to customers, partners, or even pitch to investors, uh, that they had a succinct pitch that was not so lofty and technical that people looked at and were like, I don't know what this is talking about, but really spoke to them um, from a perspective of, you know, you, usually when this type of strain is detected, it's already too late. But that's not why doctors go into this field, right? They go into this field because they want to be able to bring hope and joy into people's lives. They want us to be able to save lives. And what's cool about this technology is they allow you to do it before it gets to the point of no return. And, and so being able to talk about that joy that like a doctor gets to do, share good news instead of just bad news, right? Um, that that was a really incredible experience. That's good. I was also, um, hang on, gotta look at my note here. That I guess the human-centeredness 
versus humane yeah, human-centered design versus humanity-centered design. So just like there's microeconomics, macroeconomics, right? There's the psychology of an individual and a person. There's the sociology of a whole society, right? I really say that's kind of the parallel. Um, over the past 20, 30 years, there's been a, a surge in everyone talking about human-centered design, right? How do we understand the individual? How do we focus on the user and their motivations and their journeys, right? Um, and uh, the different touch points they go on when they're using something like an app or a website. We can be intentional about those too, just like we are intentional about the architecture of a skyscraper, because we don't want those skyscrapers to fall in five or 10 years, right? And we don't want our businesses or our applications to fail in five or 10 years either. And so I think the human-centered part is really important because uh, before that, we were just looking at the numbers, right? And uh, it's not to say there weren't people looking at the human side of things, but it wasn't as prevalent and people didn't realize how important it was until some companies became gigantic as a result of it. And now everyone's paying attention because they're like, well, how did you do it? Well, we just focused on what was human, right? Um, on, on the flip side is uh, with such a heavy focus on human-centered design, we started to lose some of the focus on humanity-centeredness. And... Um, Oftentimes you can find that they're a little bit of a contrast, right? You know, what's good for the greater whole may not be good for an individual, right? Like uh, if you look at, um, I guess like uh, capitalism is maybe a little more favoring the individual uh, compared to communism, which is a little more favoring the whole, right? You really, or socialism rather, you've really kind of got to make a choice but be conscious about the choices you're making because if you're only human-centered right then an individual might get a lot of benefit from it but when a million people are using it it could become a monster right and if you're only humanity-centered well you could create something that the whole group will get a benefit or goal but it might squash or steamroll a few individuals in the process that's interesting. Uh, like, um, I spoke with a gentleman who's a, um, he's a young fellow. He's 22 in um, Sweden. And he's leaving Sweden. He's like, Sweden is, is monolithic culture. Mm. And it's like, um, I said, why are you leaving? He goes, it's boring. Because it's impolite to um, excel. Because mm. it might make someone in the group feel bad. And so it's like, it's like a very interesting... Um, He's told me that Benito Mussolini said that um, Italy or, or uh, Sweden was a uh, perfect fascist state because they're like a block, solid block of the people that will move together. So it's like kind of like this anti-individualism um, pro-group mentality, which is kind of what you're talking about, which is the suppression of individualism for the benefit of the group. And it's like, yeah, it stifles innovation. And, you know, it's just, it, it, is, it is a dreary landscape, kind of. You find the balance between the two, right? So we, we have an organization uh, that's working on what's called the Human Experience Index. There's about eight to 12 categories. Um, this is part of the global standard uh, that we're working towards, but I know it's something that, you know, we might have a hundred criteria in each of the categories from political, social, economical, um, cultural, uh, environmental, and they may be plus or minuses in each one, but you know, how do we compare whether this, this GoPro or this lighter or this card deck, which one is more innovative than the other? Where do we even start? How do we begin that conversation? How can we even define those? Well, 
right now you ask 10 people, five people even, what their definition of innovation is and you get five different definitions. So just like marketing and design couldn't really advance as a discipline until we defined it and we started creating guidelines and standards, I think innovation is a similar thing. And um, with the need for innovation increasing because of the rate of the market growing and progress, right? We've got to have tools we can use to find out where we're at. Do, do we want to go down this path or do we want to change certain criteria and be more intentional about it? Because I think without those measurements or those standards or metrics, it can be very easy to create something that does turn into a monster without our intention. And I don't think any of these social medias, they came, or you know, Googles and Amazons, I don't think they came out here trying to be evil, but currently they come off as a little <laughs> psychopathic, right? They, they sort of grew into it, I think. I don't know. It's like, it's like wow. It's like, grew into it at a scale, right? Yeah, it's like, like, hey, let's do some experiments on manipulating people's emotionality by altering their news feeds a little bit and see what we get. And it's like, whoa human subjects experimentation on people without their permission how about that yeah. and it's like oh that that's not even close to bordering on you are way over the line on that one and google can do it doing similar things it's quite um stunning what can be done with the big data can do and then the the temptation thus exists for someone to design it and do it because it's like we, we can work on the people instead of for the people yeah, the, the ethics of uh, design and innovation are such a hot topic right now. I don't know if you've watched Social Dilemma. It came out recently. I know. I've been advised to watch that on a... Yeah, on a, well, you've been advised once again. I know. Uh, it's in two days, man. Yeah, I, re I really enjoyed it. It was very profound. And um, I know one of my big takeaways from it that hopefully would encourage other people to watch it as well uh, was that... You know, my generation constantly is complaining about how the boomers screwed us over with this and that. And at the same time, we're the ones that have created what will inevitably screw over generations from now. And so, you know, now that we're aware of this, we need to be conscious about what we're creating, right? And I think that's, that's where the Human Experience Index aims to kind of like that. improve, right? Just having a measurement system means you at least have a better idea of where you're at. You get to stand on the shoulders of giants, but you also get to recognize who you're standing on and why you're standing on it. Because right now, I think people are just creating innovation for the sake of progress. And I think that needs to change. And it's on its way to changing. And that's why we're building the index. I think once we get the, I would say probably the consensus of maybe like 10,000 organizations. And I think we can truly build, begin building like an association around that and start having like an annual conference. Um, but in the meantime, we're collecting people. Uh, we're, we're bringing together that community of founders, entrepreneurs, business owners who are passionate and driven about improving humanity and improving the human experience. I, so I think that's where it starts. I think that's right. I, I like that a lot. And it's a, it is good to have a, an objective metric or at least some attempt at an object, objective metric as to where are we in this. Exactly. Situation. And our goal isn't to say this is good or bad, but wouldn't you like to know if you are more innovative in the political realm than this other group or than this other innovation in the environmental side of things and in what criteria? Because then you can look at the criteria and say, okay, actually, we want to make sure we have this criteria. We, we want to make sure we avoid this risk over here. That's right. That's right. And so I, I think it is a, um, a conscientious awareness 
with intentionality to provide certain outcomes is the is is and you're right on the money it's it's all comes to intentionality and then i think that is uh orientation and awareness and conscious consciousness of the situation as you develop it yeah well that entire description that you just gave me that's literally design right just like you can design a building the architecture of it just like you can design a product or website you can design a customer experience you can design a business right you can be intentional conscious and aware about how it develops over time and the decisions that you've made for it. That's right. Wow. So it's a lot there. You're, you're, you're doing a lot. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, talking to you at length. I don't know what else to ask you. I'm like kind of blown away. I'm like, now I got you give me homework. I got to watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you submit a report, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well, we'll publish it. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm, I'm working with a, there's a group out of JMU in Harrisonburg, Virginia, um, psychologist. It's quite interesting. He made a tree of knowledge system and a system for understanding how to, he said, he was like this. He's like, uh, he's a tenured professor of psychology and he's doing his psychology professor thing. And he's like, Hey, wait, you know what? We don't even have a way to define psychology. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I was looking at the tree of knowledge diagrams and I was like, I don't even know where design would go on here. Some people have told me, oh, it's applied aesthetics and whatnot. And I'm like, okay, I think that's a big component of it, but there's also the kind of more mathematical side to it, right? To making sure the design is feasible. Like how does that come into all of this as well? Um, but I love looking at diagrams like that. I consider them also to be paradigms because they help us right. embody right. massive amounts of knowledge so that no matter what situation or scenario we find ourselves facing and we have a toolkit and we can apply that toolkit reach a conclusion even if we don't have every single little detail and formula memorized that's right so the the i, I recommend um checking his stuff out um greg enriquez um unified theory of knowledge and um the issue is this is that he talks about uh the social space that we're working in like right now we're talking to each other and and, and engaging in social activity um is is all about it engages what he calls a justification system. How do we justify our position to the other one? And then we're, why do you do this? And why are we doing these things? And so we, we have a system of justification, which happens to be breaking down in a global sense due to the innovation of the digital interface, right? So the digital interface, we're just now starting to get used to dealing with each other in a digital sense, which is the big innovation is like, it's huge. And he says, that's that's what's going on and it's like so what has happened is we're it's all fits and starts and we're trying to figure out how to associate with one another in a digital sense with advanced communications and um that 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 we're there's a there's a there's a big paradigm shift occurring with regard to um the elites of the former system of justification which is failing which is central broadcasting is interfacing with the new innovators who are it's all private and and interconnected and um without permissions right mm -hmm. and so it's like there's a big shift occurring and it's like well they're they're gonna they don't want to go easy into the night oh, the, the, the winners right innovation versus regulation and you know the ones that became big off of a certain thing they want to protect their kingdom right and you can't blame them for that either no no you have to be impressed by it and it's like okay but it's at the same time, it's like, okay, still, so how do I get around that 
obstacle, right? Well, so cycle is the inevitable like rise and fall. So That's right. It's inevitable. Right. I actually think um, from an innovation strategy perspective, uh, and I literally lived this earlier this year, I'm sure many, many people did with coronavirus, is when we went into quarantine, all our partners paused. They said, we don't know what the future holds. We need to pause for a moment. So we were like, oh, well, I guess we're on pause too. And uh, right. everyone's freaking out for like two, three weeks. And then we realized that, wait, this is, from an innovation strategy perspective, the sooner you embrace the inevitable, the sooner you can look at it from an opportunities perspective. And so uh, if you look at some of the biggest organizations who are still very relevant and investing in innovation instead of regulation, is that they're able to compete on the new battleground, right? Companies like Marriott and uh, Coca-Cola, right? Um, and Lowe's even, they're, they're, they're building innovation capabilities within their organization who, whose job is to hunt out problems before they become problems, to find solutions before people are aware of them, to find new opportunities in the market and know about them 15, 20 plus years in advance. With my work at Bosch, um, you know, I don't know exactly when, where, or how those innovations will come to market, but I know it's at least 10 plus years from now, right? And it's really interesting that they have, they're building this portfolio of innovation and skills to be able to take on the demands of any unpredictable market. And I think um, the time of stagnant, gigantic empires that are unmoving is coming to an end. And some of those organizations are realizing soon enough that we need to have an agile body within our organization, entrepreneurship or whatever they want to call it whose job is to seek out and hunt down these little flies that are whizzing around and try to capture those, right? Instead of just always aiming for the biggest things because you find something new, you have the resources, the network infrastructure, the influence to actually make new, right? Even more so than your typical startup. Um, and so I think uh, seeing the rise of corporate ventures has been really exciting. Um, a lot of internal accelerators and incubators where they're encouraging their own team members to really look outside the box instead of just maintaining kind of the system. Of course, you need people who are maintaining the structure and keeping the main, the mothership working, right? Because you can't sacrifice the mothership, but you've got these little tiny spaceships flying out and about that are a lot faster. They can duck and weave between all these asteroids and they can find uh, hidden treasure. That's right, that's right. Well, it is. It's like uh, I guess it's like you. It's uh, the the name of your company is quite appropriate. It's it's all about the way you think about the problems and and uh, organize it mentally. That te it will define the uh, field that you affect that you generate when you're uh, going through the action of making it come into being. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there was a whole strategy for that. It took nearly a year to really fully be confident and settle in on the name and a lot of research some thousands of iterations gone through but i think we really arrived at a name that both describes what we do right but is also brand positioning wise something that is unique and uh something we can protect and grow for a very long time so thank you for noticing <laughs> <laughs> it's no small thing man it's like it's just to uh to be able to encapsulate it and put it out there in a minute and it's like it makes it twinkles the mind, right? It's also our first pre-qualification test. How come that one is that? Very good. 
Well, shoot, Sonny, I like, um, I, I certainly want to talk to you about the, the work I'm interested in doing, which is, is, is innovation of a sort, but in that site, it's such a, uh, you know, minor thing. I'm, I'm working on setting up a, a telemedicine service for a very limited amount of uh, medical indications. Mm -hmm. And it, the purpose of it will be to be cash only and, um, and for the purpose of eliminating extraneous influences in the doctor-patient relationship. Oh, so start, starting to kind of maintain a clearer path of communication, removing some of the natural biases that really affect the patient experience. Oh yeah, oh my God, patient experience is one of, I think the most fascinating spaces, especially because there is actually a lot of regulation in that space and sometimes with regulation and constraints, you get even cooler innovations because, well, if you had a fully blank canvas, you could create anything, right? Is it really truly creative at that point? But when you have these rules that you must fit within and yet still find new sustainable and foundational value, how do you, how do you piece those together? That's where the real problem solving comes in. So that, that sounds super exciting. That actually reminds me a lot about um, some of our kind of like future vision for how all of our different partners in our portfolio will eventually come together uh, into what we... Are you familiar with uh, Walt Disney's Epcot? I'm familiar with that roughly, but not by any, not in particulars, but in a general sense. Cool. So originally, uh, his vision for it, if, if you look it up, you can find plans, original plans and things. It was supposed to be a prototypical city of the future. And then, uh, then he died and his brother turned it into something else entirely. But if you look up the original plans, which are available, uh, you'll see that it's all built off of what uh, we're currently defining under a new venture that we're working on called Nova as uh, radial architecture. Um, and radial architecture can exist both within the single building unit, but also within the greater infrastructure of like a whole city, township, or village as well, right? If you look at it from a purely like objective efficiency and the community perspective the radialness right the clusters that are also radial in themselves is really the most efficient structure so uh, we're looking at prototyping a few of these novas and so forth getting up to the point of a super campus that we're going to call the supernova which is a living working playing uh learning kind of facility where we see things like medical stuff, the engineering stuff, the political stuff, all that kind of coming together uh, in almost an institute format, but without the same like bureaucracy that uh, academia typically has to be sort of like its own fully functioning satellite uh, within, within some other municipalities. Um, we're looking at some areas right now, but I think that could be the future of how a lot of these disciplines kind of intersect or are able to leverage and bring each other up. Because I know there are some industries that are very um, stifled in all kinds of regulation and there has to be a way to figure out how can we make innovation there how can we help them stay up to date right and I think it starts with people like you who are working on these individual innovations and that compounded over time with an organization that's kind of working on innovation from a patterns perspective overall to really find what are the models that we can perfect how we create new medical or healthcare ventures, and especially in spaces of these future communities where things will become more, the term might be like globally localized, right? They're all connected in a network. Right. They're all centralized in their own. 
I like that. That's that's interesting. Maybe I see that. I, I'm I'm working on a on a wider project I call Res Publica, which is this public thing, mm -hmm. which is I, I see it as a a, a a potential foundation for the purpose of uh, helping the people to organize their their life, you know, what in the global sense, like you're talking about, in and uh, at, at every level. To, for the this same purpose, and it's like you know, so. What I see happening is a this can I like a coagulation of all these the the people that are like I I, re, I regard you as a future thinker and um, you know uh, seeking uh, to innovate to to uh, create the system which is to follow the system which is now um, in in failure, mm. and it's like. Those the, the the these people and I'm watching this happen is just they're they're attracting together like gravity so they're they're coming together and then forming wider and wider networks and and getting stronger quite rapidly and as the other one is fading out because it's like it's it's credibility is too low of the broad central broadcasting um, yeah. is is and I was I was thinking about it yesterday and it's like it's like it is due to the fact that the um, the pixelation is at too low of resolution to effectively map effectively onto the reality of the lived human experience. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I actually love that you mentioned gravity there. Um, I don't know what you've heard about gravity, but uh, our research and development kind of branch of paradigm, we've been looking at all kinds of theories about how like businesses grow, how markets change, how innovation demands, right? Um, and one of the biggest conclusions we've arrived at is this shift from uh, traditional advertising, marketing, traditional sales towards something that is a little more relationship, community, and like longevity based, a little more collaboration based, um, a little more rising tide floats all boats kind of mentality. And um, so think about it with me for a moment, like, you know, what is the best kind of sale? A sale where you didn't have to sell they came to you because they saw and understand the value, right? Okay, well, that demands that you've communicated it clearly and put it out there, right? Well, what is the best kind of marketing, right? Uh, where you have opportunities, relationships coming to you without you having to do any active traditional marketing or advertising. Well, how do you do that? Well, there are things on this earth that spread information on their own people, right? And through the relationships we have with people, think about the best opportunities you've had. They've been through existing relationships and relationships of those relationships, right? And through just six connections, supposedly, we can create right. relationship in the world, right? So one of the most powerful form of sales, marketing, advertising, whatever, it's really what I would consider we're calling it gravity, but it's that force of attraction that comes through all the relationships and all the people that are connected yeah. to each other. It is our greater neural network, right? Our greater connected system between all of us. And um, I think that's exactly what you're talking about when you talk about the networks coming together and compounding across each other over time. And just like we can be intentional about the architecture of a building, we too can design this gravity system for our business, our organization, our brand, our identity, Right, and the way our influence spreads through our relationships and have all of those touch points be just as intentional and efficient as any other system would create. Yeah, so it's a it's a the interesting function of it is it's because it goes to this digitalization of our interactions in a social sense, which mm -hmm. is it's a brand, it's very brand new. It's like oh, 20 years and it's and it's just getting rolling, really. And it's like we're we don't know what we're doing, we're faking it as we go, and it's like 
okay so we just it's all like nerve nervous if, a, if you chop a nerve off the nerve will grow a bunch of dendritic things it's trying to find the pathway to get back in touch with what uh, it's supposed to touch base with that's what we're doing we're experimenting right because we don't know the answer that's it so it's okay we, we've got to be willing to uh take our chances in the in the early morning to you know before the sun comes up it's a little dark and it's like okay well, it's okay we are, we're gonna get there and it's just get ready for the sun because it's gonna be a bright day that's what I see happening. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise here as well. And it's like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. I, 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 um, I like I say, I look forward to uh, watching what you do and uh, maybe um, have an opportunity to interact with you on a professional basis with my, uh, my interest and uh, very excited all about it. All very good. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I think, I think I would really enjoy that as well. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you again, and and uh, maybe we can chat again. Uh, you, you've got so much to uh, to go on about. I'm like like to, to have so many adventures going. There's like uh, a lot of cooking going on back there. Uh, hey, I mean, we're a venture studio. That's our job, right? Help design, fund, and launch new ventures, and uh, what I do. Uh, so I I could talk endlessly about it anytime you want. You've got my info. Very good. Paradigm Innovations is that the proper name? Uh, Paradigm Innovation. Oh, pardon me. But yes, and we're a venture studio, business accelerator, and entrepreneurial resource hub. Uh, we help humanity-centered founders to design, fund, and launch their next product, brand, or business venture. That's Sonny Sue. So Sonny, one last thing is, how do, where do they get a hold of you? Um, uh, I'll, I'll send you all the information uh, to, to- The job. Not, but yeah, uh, but our website is paradigm.cx. You can manage to spell it, paradigm.cx. Um, and then I think our handle is that. You'll, you can find it all on there. Um, Very good. We'll put it in the show notes and it'll be great. Cool. And feel free to add me on LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever. Very good. If you want to see my musings and insanity. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you as well. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Best Medicine Podcast with Bradley H. Werrell, D-O. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe below, either over there or over there. Also, if you're interested in a medical consultation with myself, there's also information below.